Coaching Uncovered podcast, a podcast where coaches come to talk about coaching. My name is Brent Davis and I'm the host of the podcast and I have got a guest finally that I've been chasing since day dot to come on the podcast. I will let him introduce himself. Who have I got on the podcast today? Hey Brent, my name is Chris Donovan. Finally got you on the show after all this complaining that I don't want to come on the show, I don't want to come on the podcast. It's taken me two years, I reckon, since I've been asking you to come on the show and you finally come out. Yeah, you finally got me. Thanks for having me. And I'm keen to actually have you as a recurring guest. So be warned, be prepared that you won't just be on here just once. You'll be on here more than once throughout the the next 12 months or so. Okay. okay. I think with your experience and your coaching skills, I think you'll be a, a good guest to come on and talk about some certain topics that I've got coming up in the future. So you've been warned. Sounds good, Brent. So for those that don't know, you give us a bit of a background of what your story is, Chris. Uh, so I've been a PJ member since, uh, well, graduated to the end of 2002. So started the traineeship at 2000 uh, down at Flinders under Brett Officer. Had a great time down there, learned a lot off him. Uh, moved to Europe in 2003, uh, taught over there for that year, which was uh, fantastic. Got wickedly homesick for the most part, but because uh, I was there on my own. But a great experience uh, being somewhere else and teaching English when their uh, first language wasn't English. So that had its own little challenges at times. Was it Germany you were in? Uh, Netherlands. Netherlands, okay. So uh, my Dutch was not very good either. So... <laughs> Uh, then I came back home, went to Sydney for three and a half years, came back to Melbourne again, worked at Rossdale for a little while. I think that was just after you were there. Yeah, I think you, you stole my job and perhaps took over from me. And then uh, it was a club pro for six years at Marupna and then started work at the PGA. Was in my member services role for about six years as well and the last, what are we? 15 months I've been teaching full-time. Okay, there's heaps of things to heaps of, heaps of things to cover there. I forgot that you were overseas early on. I did, it was in my, on my list when I was first going to talk to you about it, but I'd forgotten that you were, you were coaching over there. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that first, but I'm curious about, and I generally ask this to the trainees or the pros that have just been through the trainee program, but talk me through what your experience was like in the trainee program. Memory test, Brent. That was twenty odd years ago. Because uh, <laughs> it certainly changed, and I'm I'm just curious because I I had certain experience in the in the trainee program going through, and then when I talk to the young guys now, they have a different type of experience. I'm curious what you thought about it when you're going through, and then obviously with your work with the PGA, what you thought about it when the the guys are going through now. Yeah, it's it's most definitely a different program now than what it was then. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, Look, I found, for the most part, I had a great experience. I think I was very lucky I had a really good boss uh, who was very experienced, uh, a really good coach, but, but ultimately just a really good, really good guy, really good guy to work with. Um, as far as the actual program itself, look, for the most part, it, it covered, I think, everything that you needed to. Uh, it covered as much as it possibly could, I think. There may have been a few business aspects that would have been perhaps would have been great if it was a bit more to it in that sense, which they've improved a little bit, obviously quite a lot uh, in recent years. Uh, the playing was, well, I found it reasonably difficult. Uh, I wasn't the greatest player going around by any stretch, so I struggled with that certainly in my last year. Um, 
but ultimately, I, I had a great experience. I obviously I still see a lot of the guys that I went through uh, back then, so that's that's pretty good. I think from a a life a life skills point of view, it's a really good program, and you obviously get to know a lot of people and the industry really really well. So I had a, I had a good experience for them. 99% of the time. Okay, you hit on a pretty good point there, I think. I think it, it's certainly back then, maybe not so much these days because you've got a little bit more contact with higher profile people inside of the program, but definitely had an impact on who your employer was, I think, when back in our day when we were going through. If you had a good good coach, for example, as an employer, you tended to get good training in that coaching space. If you had a good person in the small business side of things, you probably got good training in that side of it so i think it was a, had a pretty good big influence on who your employer was yeah I, I think the employer plays a massive part and certainly in recent times in my previous role i was trying to explain that to members is that they have this this massive influence on the, on the industry going forward so they actually need to train and not just leave from their business standpoint, but also from a being a good member standpoint. I think that's that's huge. Um, so Europe, what was the 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 thought process behind going over there, and how did you come across that role? Um, I've coached overseas as well, but I was approached to go overseas. But you sounds like you went over over by yourself. How did that come about? I don't know the exact origins of how that went. Um, my dad worked with a Dutch fella whose brother was teaching over there at the time. And I think that's maybe how that came about was the conversation came up at his work one day and and dad came home and said, oh, have you thought about doing this? And I was, nope. Why, why would that ever come to mind? Uh, the particular gentleman came home for Christmas uh, at the end of 2002, so just, just as I was graduating, and I played 13 holes of golf with him at Flinders before we got washed out. And he said, yeah, you should definitely come over. Now, this fellow was not a golf pro. He was a guy who just went through a Golf Teachers Federation course or whatever. Uh, and he was telling me that he was booked out six weeks in advance then. Wow. And that was start of December. And by that, so that was when the season started from April. So he was booked out in April already then, which I found just mind-blowing. But when you consider that when he was over here, it was snowing and minus God knows what else over there. Mm. So the season over there ran from start of April to end of October, which appealed. So I thought, oh, well, let's investigate this. So I went through the process, uh, got the visa, Went over there uh, as scared as I think I was, I've ever been in my <laughs> life. And uh, I was a total mess when I left. Uh, and uh, yeah, it turned up. I had no job, no nothing, knew nobody. Uh, and thought, well, this is a good adventure. Let's give this a go. Went to a couple of places and couldn't see myself there. And then actually had my job interview for the place I settled at at a train station. Uh, never even saw the venue and went, yeah, I kind of need to do this. I'm running out of money. <laughs> and it ended up being a fantastic decision. So I then, uh, I was at a place called Elkma, which is about 35 minutes northwest of Amsterdam and loved it. 
So from that point on, it was a great exercise. So it was just teaching beginners almost day in, day out, and it was awesome. So how much cash did you have in your pocket when you first went over there? Mum and Dad. That was it? They pretty were, much. They were paying the bills? They paid a lot of it, yeah, which I paid all of it when I got back. So it wasn't a uh, – it was a loan, no okay. more, no less. But uh, I was paying – 55 euros a night for a hotel in the middle of Amsterdam with a bed, a sink, a TV and a table and a shared bathroom. And a TV you probably couldn't watch anyway because it was all full of foreign TV shows. Uh, Yeah, well, what started the homesickness was I hadn't missed a Grand Prix in Melbourne since it started. <laughs> and the first thing I my first weekend I was away, the Grand Prix was on in Melbourne. So that was the first one I missed. So, But you're right in the centre of Formula One country. You can travel yeah. around and see all different... And that was the bad bit, mate. I was there for nine months and I all I saw was the Netherlands. I walked to Belgium. That's a whole other story. <laughs> you what? You, <laughs> w- you walked to Belgium? So you can go down to Maastricht, which is right down the bottom corner, and you can literally walk to another country. <laughs> which here in Australia we don't quite understand. Uh, and then I saw, I went to Munich and that was it. So Susan, who was my girlfriend at the time, she was in Europe for six weeks and saw more of Europe in six weeks than I did in nine months. So we went back a few years later and that was the trade-off so I could actually go and see a bit. But uh, now the Netherlands was, was fantastic. So uh, met some great people over there that I'm still in touch with to this day uh, through the wonders of facebook's and whatsapp groups and all that sort of stuff uh but from a from a teaching standpoint there were many a lesson where it was literally hello goodbye and moving them around in between because they didn't understand english and i certainly didn't understand dutch wow so um that was to be fair that was rare for the most part their english is better than ours yeah so um but from a golfy term point of view, it didn't. Sometimes that didn't correlate. But okay. um, no, it was fantastic from a from a teaching standpoint. I'll come really good. Back to the breakdown with communication because that's obviously a challenge that we've both faced at different stages of our careers. I'll be curious to to get your take on that because that that is a is a challenge. But so I just that's a huge step to take straight out of your apprenticeship essentially with zero money in your pocket to shift halfway across the world with no job guaranteed. At least when I moved, I had a job offer. Yeah, looking back on it, it probably wasn't the smartest thing I ever did. <laughs> uh, but as far as as far as far just taking a risk, and, and uh, I've said this to many a trainer or associate that I've worked with over the last little while, is you've got you've to have a crack at some point and uh, you've got to be willing to move and buy... I think by what we are, we're nomads by nature to some degree. And I think the perfect job is not going to be on your doorstep. So I was viewing it from a career opportunity. I was viewing it from an experience. I was viewing it from a range of different perspectives of, I've always liked to travel. I've always figured, well, let's go and see the world and loved it. So, and for when I, I had... I had every intention of going back the second year. In fact, I've said this many times before to various people I've told this story to. My goal was to live the life of Richie Benno and never see a winter ever again. <laughs> and that way I saw three summers in a row and that was as far as I got. But 
uh, I for a range of reasons I didn't go back the second year, which was a shame. But um, for the time I was there, it was awesome, really, Let's, really good. And again, that's what I was. I was curious. Did you stay there for the colder months, or did you travel, or did you come home? I came back early else? November. So as I said, that was the I don't do cold very well. So not I do, but I just don't like it. <laughs> so um, how, how how cold's cold? Because when I was in China, we're talking minus twenties. It wasn't quite to that extreme, I don't think. But when I left here, it was a beautiful twenty-five degree day. Arrived Singapore at midnight. It was thirty something and humid. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> and then arrived at Amsterdam at six a.m. and it was two. Yeah, or something ridiculous and grey and dark and horrible. Yeah. So I uh, I got a quick initiation because I had to wait on the Elkmar Central Station for three hours before the uh, the place opened up where I could actually book a hotel. Okay. So <laughs> so that was back in the days before you could even book online hotel-wise and all that sort of stuff. So so I sat there on a cold station doing nothing for a few hours before I was able to book some accommodation and then trying to squeeze my rather massive suitcase onto a very tiny tram was fun as well. <laughs> so, so tell me about golf over there. How does how does golf work in a country like that? Obviously, we're used to Australia where golf's fairly accessible. It's not exactly the most expensive sport. It can be, but it can be quite cheap and accessible as well, especially in the country. So what's golf like over there? So the beauty of, uh, well, no, the, uh, the attraction was, was that the way that Peter explained it to me, the fellow who I met, um, was that you're almost guaranteed golf lessons. And I didn't quite compute as to what he meant until I went there. But essentially you had to, at the time, I don't think this is still in place. It might be in a few countries still, but certainly not there now. You had to get a license to be able to get on a golf course. So to achieve that license was similar to a driving test. So you had to get lessons from a pro. Uh, if the pro then felt that you were ready to go, he signed the sheet of paper, off you went and you did your exam. And it was an actual exam, so they actually you actually had to teach them the rules at least a very very basic level. So you had to spend a bit of time on the golf course with them, and the facility I was at was fantastic for that. So you had to teach them that. They then had to pass that rules exam. If they failed that rules exam, they went home. If they passed, they then stepped on the golf course and they played four holes. They counted their best three, and they had to score twenty two or better to pass. Once they got that, they then, I think it was a yellow card called a GBB. It's a very, very long Dutch word, which I won't butcher that language. <laughs> and then they were free to go and play. And I th I've got this right. You then had to go through a similar process, but a next level up to then be able to join a golf club. And I think that was a orange card. And then once you got that, you could join a card or join a club and and off you go. So the reason that we were guaranteed lessons was because if people wanted to come and play golf, then they had to go through this process. Okay. So some you signed the sheet after two lessons, some you had them for the greater majority of the summer and off they went. And if your particular student failed, you got a rather nasty letter back, which I couldn't read because it was in Dutch. So I didn't bother me. <laughs> Scrunch it up and throw it out. Yeah. And uh, not that that happened too often, thankfully. But uh, yeah, it was quite an amazing... I mean, it obviously has its pros in the sense that golfers on the golf course, you know, have a good idea of what they're doing out there. But at the same time, 
how many are we missing because they don't want to go through that process. They just want to pick up a golf club and go. Who's to say? But you've got to remember that the Netherlands is smaller than Tassie with a population bigger than ours. So certainly back then it was. So they've squeezed a lot of people into a very small space and uh, not a lot of golf courses either to boot. So I've, I've said this to coaches over the years as well. Is you improve your coaching by getting out and doing it. Um, so obviously you got a heap of exposure to a heap of players very early on. Um, I'm sure that would have improved your coaching skills pretty quickly. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, you figured stuff out very quickly. So, but at the same time, and I've I've said this to trainees as well, is is as much as the the good players or the elite players is perhaps a good uh, dream, so to speak. At, l- at least you can't really ruin the beginner, I guess is probably the best way to put it. I mean, obviously you can to some degree if you don't give them the right grounding, but you've got the chance to experiment and try some stuff out on, a, on an absolute beginner. Mm. So you can kind of find your feet and, and uh, make a few mistakes and without it being too detrimental i guess whereas a better player it could be horribly detrimental so from that point of view it was a really great education but on top of that i had some there were three or four others there that were full-time as well and i spent a lot of time with them watching them another one guy was a tennis coach as well so we spoke about how sports crossed over um so from that point of view you know, they were experienced coaches as well, so they would watch me every now and again. And so it was a really good, really good environment. There was no fighting. There was no that sort of stuff. It was, you know, everyone was busy enough, so it didn't bother them. But uh, you learnt very, very quickly, that's which an, was good. That's an important point. I think it's it's golf coaches, in my opinion, don't do it often enough, is spend time with other sports, spend time with seeing what, High performing coaches do in other sports. I think it's it's good to see what they do and how they do it. You can certainly pick up ideas and thoughts and theories about how they go about it. Because uh, as 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 you're aware, most most coaching is about the, the communication. Understanding golf swing is part of it, but certainly being able to get those ideas across is a huge part of co- good quality coaching. Hmm. So seeing other sports and how they go about it is a, a hugely powerful tool. Yeah, absolutely. I th- yeah, um, he was. He was half and half. He spent half his week coaching tennis and half his week coaching golf. So he was he was a good guy to speak to from that respect, and uh, had some had some good players from a tennis point of view that he would speak and about. And so I'd speak to this person very very differently how I speak to this person and different ways and how to push them and set up his his coaching uh, time. But yeah, certainly from a obviously the games are clearly different. But in terms of uh, how we go about it and how we communicate it, are uh, reasonably similar in the sense of how do you get the message across? Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. how do you improve performance? How do you do that sort of stuff? So I think from that point of view, are they that much different? Probably not. Probably not. But at least they were two, two individual sports. I think how you might coach soccer or footy might be a bit different to golf or tennis in that respect because obviously it's a team culture building 
and you've got to get your point across to you know, 10, 15, 20 versus one. So that's a very different way. Yeah. So any team coach, team sport coaches out there that want to come on the podcast, hit me up. I would love to get some more team coaches on the on the show just to talk through that exact experience because it is it's got to be different when you've got 20 different people standing in front of you as opposed to one mm. um getting those ideas across is, is hugely important so talking about communication let's get into that um dealing with the language barrier i faced it in taiwan and china dealing with chinese speaking kids and you, as, as you said you had a few students that didn't speak any English and a few that probably spoke broken English. So did you come across any real challenges there and how did you deal with those? Uh, look, for the most part, I reckon there might have only been, let's say 98% were perfectly good English and 2% where there was either broken or not much at all. So it was pretty rare, to be fair. Uh, so the ones where they didn't have any at all, there wasn't even an interpreter. There wasn't even a, you know, their wife or a partner or someone else that come along and I could bounce things off. It was move them here, move them there. You know, you just try to find some ways to sort of go, you know, thumbs up or something <laughs> to sort of say, hey, that was good or, or not quite or whatever it might be. But so at that point in time, I was very much a uh, move the club around move the body around, actually give them some motion from that respect uh, because I didn't have the access to video or that kind of feedback like I do now. You know, I've got massive TVs on the wall now so it's it's really easy to show what's going on without too much verbal stuff. Whereas back then I had to find some other ways to get it done and back then it was uh, if we did video it was – a five-minute process to then get it through to the TV, which I'm sure you remember. Uh, so it was taking a fair chunk of your time. So I didn't bother doing that too often. So you just found other means of getting it done, whether you, whether I was mirroring them and I'm not a very good left-handed <laughs> golfer. Um, or as I said, I'd move them around or I'd give them some hand signals or just simple yes, no those sort of words they can understand. And I knew I knew Dutch from that point of view. That's about as far as I got. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of how I'd combat that. Just a lot of moving around, really. Sort of tapping into their feels as much as possible without too much verbal. Probably is a, a bad coaching strategy in general. I think we traditionally talk too much in... in coaching sessions these days so being able to not have to be able to talk or communicate and just go on and on and on for the sake of talking is probably a positive some of them were there was one particular session with this one particular guy and i've still got his golf swings on some of my tapes somewhere and it was woeful probably was still one of the worst golf swings i think i've ever seen <laughs> but there was this one particular day where it you just had that epiphany moment that light bulb moment and in that particular session, after it was probably lesson four or five. And I don't think we said a word to each other other than hi and bye. <laughs> and it was one of those light bulb moments for me as well. I was like, okay, yeah, maybe you're on the right path here. Brent, you're exactly right. How much talking do I really need to do? Yeah. Um, because eventually it all gets lost anyway. And I think the old Hank Haney line he said was, people only hear 10% of what you say. So... 
That's why he repeats himself 10 times. So... Well, it, it's important too because you, you you spend half hour or a 60-minute golf lesson talking and they take away two things out of it. And then the times that I've asked a client after a golf lesson what they learnt today and they bring up some random topic that you might have touched on for five seconds inside of the whole hour, which is completely off topic to what you're actually keen for them to do. Yeah. It just happens all the time. So... Um, and I've said this a few times, we have to learn to shut up as coaches and just let the student gets it, seems to get it better if they get it themselves as opposed to being told what to do. If they can come across, explore and come across a solution to a problem in their own way, that sticks a heap more than what it does if I'm telling them what to do. And they can do it themselves in the future rather than having the coach there giving instant feedback all the time. Well, they've got to do it without us there, don't they? Yeah. So that's part of the uh, part of the trick or part of the skill of when they walk out the door, they know exactly what they need to be doing. Obviously, we have ways of means of checking in on them, giving them notes, videos, whatever it might be. But they still need to be able to do it on the range without you there, or on the more importantly, in the field of play when you're not when you're not there. So. The uh, the spoken word can be good, but at the same time, we can't be telling them because otherwise, are they actually learning too much? I don't think so. But um, got to somehow make it their own idea, don't we? Yeah, which is a challenge. Which is a challenge because you get some students, and I've had them over the past that just tell me what to do, just tell me what I need to do, and they'll take that as this is what I'm paying you for a golf lesson. You need to tell me exactly what I need to do. Well, it doesn't. You don't learn best that way. You learn best by you working it out. I'll guide you. Yeah. But it's a yeah. challenge. This is why you're here. You don't know something. So I'm going to lead you, guide you, show you. If you're really struggling, I'll give you the answer to it. But um, if you figure it out on your own to some degree with our help, you'll get better faster. So I don't think we can – we certainly can't push it down their throat um, because at the same time, they're also going to think that they're – that they're not very smart or they're, you know, oh, I'll never get this. Well, hang on. Yes, you will. Just take your time. Yeah. So I had a, actually on that topic, I had a fellow on the weekend and, and I say this a lot. He's only touched, he's been playing for like two weeks and you should have seen the shot at the end. It was ridiculous how good it was. <laughs> and uh, I said, you have now been a golfer for like four hours. And he goes, yeah. I said, right. We don't know much after four hours, so give yourself some time. Yeah. So, and I say that a lot to a lot of my beginners. You know, you might have been playing, might be a year since you last picked up a golf club or first picked up a golf club. But in that time, you might have only played four rounds, been in the range six times. You've been a golfer for 15 hours. Yeah. Very, very little. So give yourself some time. So I've, I've just written a, a, a point down there. How do you deal with those expectations? How do you deal with those guys that come on come to you? And this could be in Australia now as well as overseas. But how do you deal with those guys that they're possibly high performers in other areas, whether it's business or sport, or they've picked up sport fairly comfortably um, in the past? How do you deal with those expectations, those golfers that come to you expect to get it straight away? Uh, there's a couple of different ways. Uh, some of them have the thought that the best players in the world hit dead straight shots, never miss a fairway, never miss a green and never miss a putt inside 25 feet. So for some, I'll talk about that sort of stuff that we now know thanks to the really, really good stats we have now. 
Others I'll talk about the time that it takes. I'll provide my experience of how much I practice as a kid uh, versus uh, uh, what they might do. I'll talk about, well, how if you are successful in that area, how long did it take you to get good at that? Have you put that much time of that into your golf game? Invariably, the answer is, well, no. Why can't I just do it? Well, golf swing's complicated. It's complex. There's a lot going on. Um, and no one ever masters it. So that's, that, is a, that is a long conversation. That's not the sort of one you can do in a couple of minutes. So um, that one's a hard one. That one's a hard one. Yeah, can be yeah. A, it's just a, a challenging space. But I think you're on the right track by showing them stats and from the pros that they don't hold every putt and they don't they miss fairways and they miss greens and they don't hit perfect every time. Well, the, the TV coverage doesn't help. No, because they're all and again I've, I've said that to my clients as well over the journey is the, you're only seeing the players that are playing well that week. You're not seeing the other 120 that aren't playing so well that week. Yeah, we haven't seen the guys who have missed the cut, have we? Yeah. So that's that that is that is really important. So just quickly on the overseas coaching, you said that they were essentially progressing to get access to golf courses. So how much of the coaching was geared towards a good golf swing and how much coaching was geared towards just getting them past that test? Getting something that works just to get them past the test as opposed to having a a good golf swing or correct action. There was a bit of everything to some degree. So the first... I guess the average one was the first sort of two to three sessions were uh, range bound a little bit. Um, so then you, you're working on some competency of can we get the ball to go forward? There wasn't even some, for some it wasn't even a case of get the thing airborne. It was can we just make the thing go forward? So, and then there was obviously some putting stuff, some chipping, all the, all the, shots within those couple of sessions so it wasn't an hour of just hitting full shots because that's only going to give them a very small part of what the game's actually about so then maybe let's just say if that person did three sessions on the range or actually doing some technique stuff for want of a better term after that it was then on our either on the full golf course if i could get on it or they we had a really cool little nine hole par three course that I would take them out on as much as I possibly could after that. Yeah. So because you then had to do the the rule component. So what better way to teach that was to then for them to hit it in the water, for them to hit it up against a tree, for them to hit it in the car park, which happened. <laughs> um, various other bits and pieces. So you could then sort of kill two birds. Yeah. So certainly towards the end, if they were getting close and getting a bit more competent with actually hitting some decent shots. As I said, they only scored 22 for their best three, so it was two sevens and an eight or something. So they didn't need to be awesome, but they did need some competency of getting the thing in the hole. Yeah. Uh, so it depended on where they were at. I had some, I remember one person, uh, and she would have been similar age to me, sort of mid-20s, and she was amazing. She was a hockey player, so she stood up that we were in whack, 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 no problems. I said, okay, next session, we're going on the golf course here. And I think I saw her 
three times and she was away. She was fine. Yeah. So it was possibly maybe the challenge. So that, that first day, because they're essentially coming to you as they've never played golf before or they've had a couple of hits and they've so they've got no basic swing. But you said there was that next step where they can get to a certain standard where they can join a club. So did you come across those guys that had the funky-looking golf swings that, that worked to a certain degree? Then you had to obviously coach them to be able to act, get access to a golf club. How did you go with those kind of players? I didn't have a lot of them. Uh, they tended to go to some of the other guys because they'd been to them, say, in previous years. So I didn't have a lot of them, but I had a couple. Uh, they generally weren't too bad. They were your, your normal golfer, I guess. You're always going to get the odd the odd funky one and, and that's okay. So they're, they're probably the most challenging ones to coach these days, the ones that have the weird looking swing that actually works. It can be hard to to pull apart those swings and correct the thing that might be causing a bad shot because they all look weird. Yeah, I guess you've got to be careful that you don't uh, you don't displace the glue that's putting it all together. Mm. You don't want to touch the thing that's actually keeping all this together. So, And sometimes that can be tricky to find and... I think we've all made that mistake sometimes of touching the thing we shouldn't have uh, from a golf swing point of view. So I think um, I didn't have too many of them, to be fair, Brent. I was very much, I seemed to get all the, they seemed to push all the newbies my way. Okay. Which was fine by me. Yeah. So you, you've got a blank slate to start with. Yeah, very much so. For intensive purposes. Yeah. So. Which is good because, as, as, as we said before, it will improve your coaching because you've got these raw beginners that essentially you're starting from scratch. And, um, yeah, when you get thrown into that higher-level golfer, sometimes, as you said, it can be a challenge because you can screw them up pretty quick. I find that in Taiwan. People of the podcast would have heard me say numerous times, I had 20 kids in front of me that could do exactly what I told them to do and I found out that some of the stuff I was coaching wasn't right. <laughs> so it can be, um, you, can, you can certainly screw some up. But yeah. I think with those weird swings, we're getting better at understanding how they work with um, the 3D stuff we're getting now, the 3D data and the, the um, physical stuff. We're starting to understand the matchups. So strong grips and certain body movements may work together on different things. So we're starting to get a handle on that now, which is good. Yeah, that's where knowledge is knowledge is power, isn't it? Whether it be that sort of stuff or whether it be trackmans or fight scopes or whatever it might be, that sort of information's important as well and can also tell us okay oh geez i didn't i didn't see that but if that's what's going on then okay i now understand this now makes a bit of sense so we now then we now get to know where to look so much better than what we used to i think so completely off color question now what was the cash like over there you getting paid what uh it wasn't too bad there was a lot of cash let's say that okay so Be careful with these Australian tax men might still be hunting you down. Uh, <laughs> outside the statute. Um, so, yeah, you'd get paid in cash. Okay. And it was – and back then they had uh, – <laughs> I remember riding into – and riding, no cars. I didn't drive a car for nine months. Uh, riding into the bank and I had, I reckon, an inch and a half thick of cash <laughs> and I'm just standing there at the ATM – just, just feeding, feeding this stuff in. Wow. Just looking behind thinking. <laughs> Get smacked here really quickly and yeah. lose a whole lot of money. The boy from Frankston was looking around thinking, <laughs> what's going to happen here? So, uh, yeah. So, oh, look, it was, it was fine. It was fine. I mean, it was, I had, uh, I had very little in the way of expenses, Brent. So, I had 
I had an awesome apartment that was furnished. Didn't have to pay for utilities or anything like that. All I was paying for was the rent and food and that was it. Yeah. And then the monthly rental charge to the to the club, which you paid for in a morning. <laughs> it was so it was off you went. Yeah. So you should have stayed over there. What was the? As I said I tried to, but stuff got in the way. So <laughs> it's um, it is, it is. And if you if you're a a coach out there that's young and just starting out, it's not a bad if you can get a, a gig somewhere in that in that type of place. Like I would go back to Asia if I had the, the option. If I was in that situation, family wise, where I was single and just starting out, um, you you get act, you get exposure to golfers and you get uh, exposure to a heap of coaching. And the cash is generally pretty good because you haven't got any expenses. You haven't got a family. The life experience itself, yeah. From from my perspective, I uh, I grew up very very quickly. Uh, I had I moved out of home to go over there, so I was very very cushy at that point. I was uh, very lo- well looked after by mum and dad up until that point. <laughs> Myself too. And Put my hand up. Uh, yeah, grew up really fast because then all of a sudden I had to go. To the grocery store, I then had to go to, you know, make sure I was out of bed on time. I had to wash my own clothes. I had to do all that sort of stuff. So all the stuff that you very much took for granted when you were uh, a young taker living at home. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, I had to figure it out. So I uh, I came home a very different person than when I left. So. Really cool. And I'm sure you came back as a, an improved coach as well. Uh, yeah, I'd like to think so. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've recommended it to, to many a trainee that's come out of the program in recent times. Uh, maybe, maybe one has done it, but that's okay. Uh, some, are, some are quite comfortable to leave, uh, to leave the comforts of home and, and go and do some stuff. Others, others want to stay where they are and that's, that's fine too, but my my feeling was well i want to go and experience the world a little bit and go and see what's what's out there and see what this is like so interesting because i've come across a similar thing just with the the players i was coaching in taiwan and china is you get and you touched on it there you get in your comfort zone like if you're in australia and you've you've got a reasonable job you got a certain amount of income coming in and you're in that comfort zone you just stay where you are and i find the Taiwanese players and the Chinese players I was coaching are very similar, hugely talented players, but they're comfortable in Asia. So they stay playing China tour events, Taiwan tour events, playing in Asia. They don't want to go to the US or overseas and play and get outside their comfort zone. So that that's a, it's a challenging space as well. So trying to encourage them to do that. So I'm on the same page. You encourage coaches to get out of your comfort zone a bit and try something different, get out there. As I said before, go and have a crack. Yeah. Uh, What's the worst that can happen? You come home. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, but as I said, I was I was wickedly homesick, particularly early on. And uh, by the time I got to end of October, early November, I was like, oh, okay, I better go home. Yeah. Because um, I had stuff back here in that particular year. And uh, the, the season had effectively finished anyway, so there was no need for me to really be there. But that last couple of months was, was awesome. Mm. It was really, really good. And uh, from a not even from a coaching perspective on this one, Brent, more just as I said before, growing up and yeah. just saying to fend for yourself and just that life experience can't be beaten. I don't, 
I don't believe. Love it. So no, awesome. So back to Australia, back into Club Pro Land, and that's a different. That would be a different experience coming from essentially full time coaching to selling chocolate bars over the counter, isn't he? That's all club pros do, isn't it, these days? That's what they say. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so tell me about, and I'm curious from a, from a coaching perspective, because a club pro, you've got to be a bit of a jack of all trades. You've got to cover everything. You've obviously got a, a pro shop you've got to run. You've got a small business you have to run, and you're going to need to sell gear. You also obviously got a, a pretty good taste for coaching and pretty keen to keep that going, I'm sure, as well. So how did you blend in those different different arms that you had to do? uh not well to be fair okay uh i re- so when i was the club pro up at marina it was essentially me and susan running the business and we had a couple of casuals but essentially we were kind of on our own uh we had uh liam not long after we started so that that just added a bit more to it so there wasn't a lot of time to be fair and uh the facilities weren't great either, but that's far from a far from a reason. But I up there allowed myself maybe two to three hours a week of actual coaching time. So then that heavily relied on whether the client could actually make that time or not. So it was it was okay, but there just wasn't a lot of time for it, unfortunately. Mm. So I did a few beginner classes on a Saturday morning when Susan was there, juniors as well. But outside of that, unfortunately, it wasn't a heap of time for it. But it was a a different experience coaching the the club member and the regular golfer versus what I'd experienced overseas for sure. Yeah, I would have thought that the the, the players from overseas, because obviously they're heading towards a goal, was being able to access a golf course or being able to join a club, would have at least put a bit of practice in in between coaching sessions and having coached in the country as well and coached in that club land um, space getting them to actually do any work in between coaching sessions can be a challenge. They'll tend to just play without doing a lot of practice. So I'm sure that was a challenge for you as well. Yeah, I think we've all experienced this one. Uh, you have you have the private lesson at 10 till 11. They're booked in at 11.30. They then wonder why the first tee ball's no good. <laughs> they have 25 points to come and blame you. Yeah, so those, those lessons are always fun. Uh, but that's the reality that we're that we're in. So uh, it's part of. At least then I knew that they were playing because obviously I'd seen the timesheet. So it's like, okay, well, all right, I got to get this person around the golf course today rather than focus too much on, you know, wrist angles or whatever it might be. So in that case, it's okay. So have you got a routine? Have you got this? Have you got that? Have you? Do you know how far these clubs go? Do you? Do you know how to best strategize on this particular hole? So it becomes a very different, a very different lesson in that sense. So, but then there are others who'll say, "Oh, look, I know I'm playing this afternoon, but I'm not thinking this afternoon. I'm thinking, hey, club champs is in a year's time. Can we work towards that?" Then it becomes a very different session as well. So, part of the trick I think is asking them, "What's coming up? What's your goal?" Are you looking for the quick five-minute fix today or are we got something a bit bigger in mind? And then depending on how that answer, they it's then the question is, okay, so are you prepared to do X, Y, Z, put in the time to do this 
Okay, cool. All right, this is what we do. Some follow through, others not so much. <laughs> but for the most part, if if you can lay that groundwork and that plan and show some some good signs in that first lesson, you tend to you tend to hook them in. Okay. So, but that that said, there's a lot of one and dones out there. Just fix me today, and I'll off I go. And that's okay too. Golf is sport is a very different thing for everybody. So yes. you know they've all got their different things for doing it so that's fine personally how did you because you've spent some time overseas improving your coaching just by doing it how did you continue to improve your coaching in that type of setup where you're not doing a, a heap of coaching um you're out in the country so you don't have access to other coaches easily to spend time with or see um how did you improve your own coaching skills in that's that's in that time frame uh, I think I might have fallen for the trap that everyone else did. A lot of books, magazines, social medias, those sort of things, just to sort of keep in touch with it, I guess. Um, I used the PGA program as much as I could mm-hmm. as well. So uh, I tried to go as many seminars as I could. I went to the European one when I was over there. That was actually really cool. That was why I went to Germany. That was a uh, awesome few days. Uh, so I, I really just tried to improve the education in, in that way, I guess, without the actual formal on the tea stuff, which is obviously the best, Yeah. but you kind of got to keep your, keep your toe in the water a little bit, keep up to date with trends and changes and various other bits and pieces. So, um, certainly in more recent times, use of technology and those sort of things. So TrackMan was barely an idea when you and I went through uh, and now it's fairly common. Uh, you brought up a good point there. I think it's an easy trap to get into as a coach is to study, 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 go through all the social media stuff, see what everyone else is doing but not applying it as a coach. I think you um, you, you improve it by applying it. So taking that information on board, which is great, but then trying it on the coaching team and seeing what, what works with for your students. I think that's an important point you brought up then, which is really cool. I don't have too much interest in, in just keeping doing the same thing over and over and over again. If there's a better way of doing it, I want to try and find it. Uh, so I'm still seeking out that stuff now uh, as my... As Susan and Liam would say now, I spend too much time on my phone, but that's what I'm looking at. I'm, it's uh, trying to find what might, be, what might be new. I'm looking at swings that I had during the day. What could I have done better? What's, what did I miss? Was there something I could have done better? Was there, you know, have I included everything that I needed to in that particular person's review today? Um, I just don't think you can sit still. I think the mind's got to keep ticking over. So I think the day that you... Uh, think you've got it sorted is the day that it's going to bite you in the butt. Yeah. So I've said that to a lot of golfers as well because they go, oh, I think I've got it sorted. Yeah, what happened <laughs> on the next one? Yeah. So, you know, you don't let uh, – The golfing gods will strike you down if yeah, you see. Yeah, I've said that too. <laughs> so I just think there's just – there's so much more. As much as we think we know – I think we know very, very little still. There's still so much to do. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. And I think it's always evolving. It's all as extra. I think again, I've said this in in trainee presentations over the years. It's um, you teach yourself with two D 
video and how to coach and you, you see things that you couldn't see with you with your eye and then now you learn more stuff with 3d stuff and then there's so much stuff that's evolving and constantly changing so you have to keep up with it you have to you have to keep improving wow look at the ball flight laws we were taught yes definitely so you know we thought we had that right then too so and then we found out quite rudely later on that we <laughs> we weren't not. no so that's, that's so, definitely true and that's why some things have got to evolve and change and obviously the old you know the old wise tales that are still getting around of gotta do this and do that and head downs and left arm straights and keep your head keep your head down swing i'm so i swung too fast on that one yeah. gotta swing slower yeah so they're, they're still around yeah they're still around and you still hear them every single day so it's uh it's just little things like that that will continue to evolve over time but Maybe not in our lifetime. No, it'll, so. <laughs> it'll it'll grow as as we as we stop coaching. I'm sure it'll keep going forward. Yeah. So tell me about your job now. Let's let's get into where you're currently at because that's a, a pretty exciting role that you've got currently. So let's fill people in on what you're currently doing. So I'm now full time coaching at Sandy Golf Links, which is where PGA and Golf Australia headquarters are at as well. So nice brand new facility with all the nice toys which is really really good fun to play with every day and a great outlook every day um simulator all that sort of stuff that we can turn it into so it's a really awesome space to teach in every day um so it's good fun to to play around with that sort of stuff uh always good to be in a good environment so really good learning environment for everybody so is this the first role where you've had access to all those types of toys very much so okay how did you talk me through the learning curve with the the technology and obviously you've you've done the the training in it but using that technology in a coaching session i'm sure was a pretty steep learning curve so talk me through that uh look it took a fair bit of just mucking around to some degree you know film your own swings put someone else on have a bit of a play with the technology see what it does uh but once you've used it a few times, and I'm probably not using it even now to the anywhere near to the full extent of what it can be used. So I've got to learn a little bit more about that as as time goes on to get the full extent out of it. But uh, look, you trying to utilize TrackMan and that technology into the lesson was it's evolved even in the last yeah since i started it's uh it's a very different way that i'm using it now uh even to the point of once upon a time i'd keep it on the whole time now depending on who it is i'll turn the tvs off just so they're not looking at the screen wondering oh what what happened then certain tiles maybe yeah and even i'll just turn it off altogether okay uh because they get to even i get too sucked in by it sometimes um so and i'll say i'll say to the client sometimes don't worry about this so much that ball will tell you everything you need to know. So, I mean, that's what we based our teaching on back 20 odd years ago and it's it, it's never a bad thing, I don't think. But the beauty of that track, man, it can highlight good, bad or otherwise. So it can actually tell you if you're on the right track or not, see if you had the move you've actually prescribed has actually created the kind of thing you wanted it to. Sometimes the ball, they can do something a bit strange to make the ball go okay but you kind of know uh, that maybe not it wasn't quite what i wanted or what i expected that to happen what happened and then the numbers can confirm or deny that to some degree mm -hmm. so incorporating that's been really really good but i think what's been really really good for is actually 
the student more than me because okay. now they can understand rather than saying things like, oh, I lifted my head, that's why I did that. Well, uh, no. See this angle of attack number here? See how it's plus five and we're going for negative <laughs> three? This is kind of what happened. Um, or, you know, things like that is probably the best way to go. But you can actually, I'll say to beginners as well, see this number here? That's why the ball started there. See this number here? That's why the ball started there. This is why it's curved this way. This is why it's done this. Um, so they're actually getting a better education of why the ball's doing what it does rather than I've just got to keep my head down and my eye on the ball and I'll be fine. So obviously it's an awesome setup, great f- facility. You've got coaching there. I'm interested in a couple of things. Firstly, getting clients into the facility. Do you have an issue with golfers seeing all the fancy stuff and thinking that's too complicated for me and not coming in? Uh, perhaps. I, I don't think so. Though. I think the, the way the, the golfer is educated now that they actually like those sort of toys, every new client that walks through the door is like, oh, holy God, how good is this? So they might be a little bit uh, overwhelmed at that particular moment, but that's where we come in and relax and talk and... Just hit some shots. We're going for that target down there. Let's just warm up. Let's go through the thing and then I'll show you what all this is about. So some might be, yeah. Yeah. But not the not that I've seen. Most people that'll walk through the door or walk past and see what we're doing are usually looking at it going, Oh wow, that looks pretty cool. So for the most part, I think people are excited by that sort of stuff. Okay. And then the other other part to that question is the okay, you you've, you've got the client in there for the coaching session. I'm sure there's two types of people. There's the person that wants to see all the data. How do you deal with those kind of guys if you don't aren't keen to show them everything? Well, that one that might be one where I'll turn the turn the screen off. Yeah. Um but if that's what they want, I think we need to give it to them. So I think, I know I've made the error in, even in recent times, someone will come in and go, oh, I really want you to look at my driver. Now, I think, I think it's fair to say that what you're doing with driver and what you're doing with six iron and seven iron is pretty similar. It's just looks bigger and worse with driver. But at the end of the day, you kind of got to give them what they want. So if they want to do driver, let's do driver. So if they want to look at the numbers, let them. You explain to them, hey, this is a very deep dark hole if you get stuck in here and start (laughs) chasing, you know, perfect numbers because that's not how golf is played. Um, But at the end of the day, I think it's really up to them. If that's what they want, give it to them to some degree. Yes, there's a certain amount of what their needs are versus what what their wants are versus what they need or what they should have. I mean, that's a bit of a... At the end of the day, they're the ones paying. Yeah, fair point. So who are we to say, no, 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 let's just do this. Let's just do this. They've got to walk away happy and enjoying the experience. And if that's, you know, checking whether their club head speed's at 100 or whatever it might be, <laughs> well then, and they walk off having a good time, then fine. Will it necessarily make them a better player? That's a whole different discussion. Yeah, Definitely. And then obviously the the polar opposite is that player that says, just tell me what to do, don't show me the data. I don't want to see the numbers, I want to see all that stuff. How do you, how do you deal with those guys? Uh, in a similar way, I guess, to some degree. So that that particular golfer is sometimes, 
they want you to spit information at them, I guess. Mm. So you do. Again, it's giving them what they want. If if they if they want to be told what to do, well then you tell them. We know that's not ideal, perhaps, but you know there's varying different things of what they want, various different learning styles, if you like. So if they just want to, mate, just get me hit the ball better. Okay, cool. Here we go. Because it's important as a coach too, I think, to use that technology if you have access to it because you don't have to guess then. You can actually see the numbers. So I think sometimes you can, you'd have to use it as a coach to be sure that you are seeing what, you are, what, you, what you're seeing. Yeah. But then it can be sometimes challenging if the student doesn't want to use it. Um, again, turning those screens off and just keeping it to yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, to be fair, it's pretty rare now. Is it? Yeah. yeah they're, for, from from my perspective, and some other coaches may have some differing ideas and views on this, depending on where they're at. But for the most part, they they like it. They'll look at it every now and again, but they're not they're not hold to it. They're not. Oh, that number was no good. It's like, uh, yeah, it's okay. But what did the ball do? Was it okay? Did we achieve the sort of thing we wanted to achieve then? Yeah. Okay. Next one. Let's go. Okay. I'm curious too. Um, quite a few of the coaches I've had on the podcast over the over the the years have spoken about online coaching and uh, communication apps and that kind of stuff. How do you keep in touch with your students? Are you, are you using Coach Now or something like that? Yep, Coach Now all the time. Uh, it's essentially my only communication with them if I can help it. A, because it's easier and faster and a little bit more uh, relevant, and it's there. It's in their space forever so they can always revert back to it so i'll do i'll do like a five minute review after every lesson so and then that way they can revert back to that or review back to that when they're practicing or struggling or whatever it might be uh but i'll get them to occasionally upload some swings if they if they want to or send me a question through the app i think it's the i think it's the best way to go because as I've said, I had a guy on Sato who I hadn't seen since last May. And I, you know, had we had a few uh, messages through the app between then and now. And uh, I said, oh, so you've been, have you been playing much? He said, oh, no, I've had my hip replaced. I said, oh, okay, fair, fair excuse to be out of the game, I guess. <laughs> and uh, I said, okay, what are we going to do today? And he goes, oh, we're just going to start again. It's like, okay, cool. So we reviewed the reviewed the, the video from last time and off we went again. So I think it's a really, really powerful tool and one that I'm certainly trying to use as much as I possibly can um, because it's also good to send something out as a, as a group. It's so easy just to send, uh, you know, a particular quote that you might like or a particular swing you might like and say, hey, look at this golf swing, everybody. What do you think of this? Or uh i've shared some some putting stats in the past similar to what we're talking about before with respect to oh they hold everything from 15 feet well no they don't <laughs> they don't know <laughs> uh here's this uh so some stuff that i've i've um found scrolling yep uh so and it's a good way to just get some stuff out and just to sort of just some general communication hey how'd your golf go it's just a, it's just a simple way i've i've found this to just to give them a prod if you haven't seen them for a while, just give them a prod and they'll tend to respond because people these days have their phones constantly in their pockets. They're access. You can obviously send them emails, but you don't get their response. If you just give them a poke on, on Coach Now saying, well, how's the golf going? Yeah. That tends to 
keep them coming back, I think. Yeah, it's certainly been certainly been good for, for me and, and something that I intend to use even harder going forward. It's it's hard to find the time to follow up sometimes. Uh, but it's the sort of thing that I think you have to do. So But as you said, setting aside half an hour a week, you can send group messages, you can you can schedule posts too, can't you, in, in group in yeah. coach now. Yeah. So you can set times up where they're gonna get a poke in two weeks time or three weeks time so it's a good way to to set up the coaching business it can be so much more personalized as well yeah so if they were going on a on a golf trip you can then just sort of touch in and go hey how was it yeah what was good what was bad what do we need to work on next i like it or just little things like that so the group stuff is is good to hit all of them but then the the little personal ones never go astray now, I expect a tour of the new centre at some stage, so you have to invite me down so I can have a look. Welcome anytime. I haven't been down to check it out yet, so I'm, I'll come in and you can give me the grand tour of the new f- facility. Well done. I might even steal some coaching while I'm there. Seeing I've got some new clubs, I might actually play some golf. Probably not a bad thing, though. <laughs> That'll be good. Um, I wanted to touch quickly on, on kids coaching. So you're, you've got a son about the same age as, as me, so as opposed to golf coaching, I'm curious as a coach what you see in your kids' sports, because I don't know about yours, but mine plays every sport under the sun. Mm-hmm. So I've had access or so watched coaches from – I've coached his football team and soccer team. You're braver than me. And I've seen coaches that do that those coaching as well. And now he's starting tennis. We're going to tennis coaching tonight. So we get to see tennis tonight. I've seen right. basketball, volleyball, all different types of sports. I'm curious what you see from the sidelines as a parent um, from other, other sports coaches. What's good? What's bad about it? I think the difference is is that they've got like Liam played footy, so there's twenty three or four kids on that particular team, all of varying shapes, sizes, skills, maturity levels, etc. So I think that's a very different thing to what I would do with a group of eight juniors who, if we're smart, we try to collect them of similar age. Doesn't work sometimes, <laughs> but we try. So I think the the, the landscape is very different from that respect. Um, and on, on top of that, they're volunteers. Mm. So they're trying their best. They're, they're putting their hand up. They're putting the time in. So all power to them and, and thanks to all those guys who do that because I certainly don't have the time to do it. But as far as what they do, I don't know. I, I, I think I'd probably like to see a little bit more in the way of Teach them how to play. Teach them what to do in terms of those sort of things. Um, and I think we do some game-based stuff really, really well in, in golf. Sometimes in some other sports that he's been a part of, um, perhaps not so much. But again, you, you can only do the with what you've got in the time frame that you're given. So I think um, I try to do some stuff with him outside of that. And again, as long as they're having a good time, I don't think it really matters too much. And that's that's the key point, isn't it? We, we, you're not, as a community coach in that junior space, you're not building the next superstar in the AFL or whatever sport they're playing. You're essentially div- 
developing the kids that's going that are going to be the coaches for the next generation of kids, or the kids that's go, the kid is going to be the club president for the next ten years, and serving in the canteen and being in that club for the next twenty years. It's not the next superstar. First rule, I think, is have they fallen in love with the game, whatever it is, golf, cricket, footy, tennis, basketball, whatever it might be. So as long as they're as long as they like it, they like being around it, they like being in it. Well, then. You've effectively hooked them, haven't you? Yeah. So I think that's the first, the first most important part. If they do that, then happy days. The second thing I'll say is that if a if a junior clinic is quiet, then they're probably not having a good time. Yeah. So unless they're really concentrating or doing something else, but <laughs> uh, generally, if they're running around having a good time and it's loud, it's noisy, there's laughter. And more importantly, no blood or anything like that. <laughs> then uh, I think it's a pretty successful session, regardless of the sport that you're in. And for the most part, Liam's been really lucky in that respect. Yeah, so he's uh, he's had some he's loved his time with it. So and yeah, like yours, wants to go and do everything, every sport under the sun. So which is fine. I, I, and I think that's I think that's a really good thing. I think uh, I there's agree. some decent evidence now around to suggest that early specialisation is not not good and not fun anyway i wouldn't have thought so i'm sure you did tons i certainly did tons of different sports and various bits and pieces so yeah i think uh, the more they can do the better completely agree with that and it is it's about having fun about enjoying it if they come up with a smile on their face and that's that's all good we saw plenty of tears in the football season in the finals that we both our boys were involved with last season um but they seem to enjoy the season as a as a as a as a whole, as opposed to just those last couple of games. But that's a bit of life, though, isn't it? It is. They have to accept that that's what comes with sport. In order to win, you have to be prepared to lose. So, you know, they were all your team. Obviously, um, smashed my sons, but <laughs> that's um, that's the joys of the game. And as disappointed as our boys were, did they have a good year? Yeah, they finished on top. They just didn't quite perform when they needed to so and that that happens all the time just to put that into context your boy your your boys teams pumped our team twice through the season and then couldn't quite get it done in the finals you did it at the right time though so it was a it was a it was a cool season there was probably three teams in that comp that were pretty even all the mm. way through the yeah, year it was good. so it was good to see it go through what um, junior sport should be all about yes definitely and it was it was it was really cool to see so speaking of junior sport my boys just started to pick up some golf clubs so i'm uh, slowly heading to that space now of coaching my own son in that golf space. Your boy has the occasional hit I see on your social media, so mm-hmm. I'm curious, how do you deal with deal with that? How do you do, you do much coaching with him? Do you pay nope. him up to someone else? Does he nope. pay attention? No, <laughs> uh, no, no. no. Um, look, no, I haven't. I haven't at all. Uh, so, look, he's obviously been able to observe a lot. Uh, have I done some? Yeah, he's joined in with the odd junior clinic, but I don't do too much anyway, really. I mean, a lot of my junior stuff is, or tries to be anyway, a lot of game stuff. Can you hit this particular shot? They don't know that what they're really doing, but can you hit the ball into this target and they're learning chipping or a chip and run or a high lob shot or can you get it through the hoop? Can you hit the part into this particular circle, just games-based sort of stuff that's relevant to our particular sport and the skills that are required. But in terms of looking after him, 
Not too much at all. Not too much at all. Uh, I tell this story a lot. So we came home one Christmas from when I was a club pro. We came home. I was in T-shirt, thought, shorts and thongs. So very non-golf pro-y at this particular range that we're at. And Liam's there hitting shots. He would have been four years old, I reckon. So not even in school yet. And he was holding it left hand low. But he was hitting it 70, 80 odd meters as a four-year-old. All good. <laughs> and so as, as often happens, this particular gentleman's walking down the range and he's going, oh, geez, how old's your son? Oh, he's four. Geez, he's hitting it pretty good. I said, yeah, he goes, okay. He goes, oh, I noticed you were hitting it all right. I said, oh, yeah, not really, but okay. And uh, wasn't used to hitting shots in, in barefoot. <laughs> and um, anyway, this gentleman goes, oh, but you've got to swap his hands over. And I go, no, he's okay. And he kept going, he kept going, he kept going. He said it another, I reckon, five or six times before Liam turned around and said, look, mate, my dad's a golf pro, leave me alone. <laughs> and then went back, ripped another one. And the guy turned to me and said, oh, are you? And I said, yeah. And he goes, how come you haven't swapped his hands over? I said, because he will eventually. And I said, and he's four. Can we just leave him alone Yeah. and let him go? Now, uh, another coach may have a very different opinion on that, and that's cool. But I don't – even if I swapped him over, there's every chance he would have gone straight back to what he was doing anyway. So let him self-discover, which a couple of years later, he's back – he's right-hand low now and he's – Hunky dory. Off he goes. So, and I'm sure you've seen it. I've seen it before. You know, it's the the conundrum we have. How much technical stuff do we give in a very technical sport such as golf? How much do we leave alone and just let them be and let them learn the particular game that's right in front of them? Mm-hmm. My experience has been is that they don't do it anyway, depending on the age of them. But a four-year-old's certainly not going to stand there with a perfect grip and perfect posture and go, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. Certainly not in my experience anyway. Yeah. And if the kid's got a, a bit of hand-eye, hand-eye talent, which obviously yours has, he can hit it still. So why would you change it? <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was a, just an interesting story of um, we don't know. We don't have... I don't have two lambs to send one down the technical route and one down the <laughs> leaving me alone route and seeing which one works. We don't have that. We have to sort of make a choice. So with him, I tended to leave him alone and let him do his own thing. Um, you know, cricket, same sort of deal. There's a little bit of, hey, come on, let's get that bat a bit straighter rather than, you know, side batting, trying to slog it all the time. How about you learn how to block one every now and again? <laughs> That's um, boring though, Dad. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> So why, you know, but that's exactly the point is that a lot of kids will do certain things so they can hit the ball further. Mm. Now, we know that that's not ideal and, hey, you're five, you should only hit it to (laughs) 60, 70 metres. And I know, you know, and that's amazing. But I know you want to hit it further, so they're going to do whatever they can that's going to be stronger, faster, you know, more coordinated, I guess. They're not going to spend the next hour working on something like that. <laughs> I don't want to hold the club perfectly. I just want to hit it as far as I can. Yeah, that's, that's the best bit. So it's, it's another area for debate in our sport, I think, Yeah, is what's the best way to go. I certainly don't have the answers for it. <laughs> so 
Okay, so I'm going to throw the usual five questions at you now that we tell everyone that comes on the podcast. So I'm going to throw those five questions at you now. Okay, so the first question of these five questions is what advice would you have for coaches starting out in your in golf? Uh, get yourself a mentor, someone you trust, someone you like, someone whose philosophies you tend to agree with, uh, but also try to immerse yourself with as much stuff as you possibly can. Um, it's it's our job to have as much knowledge as we can about various different styles, technologies, ways to swing the golf club, etc. It's not necessarily the student's job, but essentially what we then need to do is then once we've got all that knowledge, we can then give it out as we need to our particular students with, as we were talking about before, the odd person who swings it a bit funky versus someone who's a little bit more traditional or normal, in inverted commas. So I think that's probably the number one thing I'd say to to someone who's just out of their time, so to speak. Go and uh, learn as much as you possibly can. as Not as quickly as you possibly can because you can't obviously take it all in. Uh, but then try to coach as much as you can, even if it's just a, a friend, partner, whatever it might be. Because uh, the... The strength of that is in the doing, testing it, seeing if it works, seeing if it doesn't, but also building your own craft because it's more than just the the golf swingy stuff. It's the, you know, as we've done in exams, when we've done those is, hey, did you actually speak to them? Did you ask some questions? Here are some other things that you can ask. Mm. Um, you know, go and watch, observe lessons from this particular mentor uh all those sort of things i think continue with the education is probably how i'd bundle that all together yeah that is that is important too and it's so accessible these days as well there's so much stuff online you can do online these days and you can you can see people's acts you can see overseas coaches you can see what they do and how they go about it so this it's so accessible but just to touch on that first point having a, a confidant or someone you can talk to about coaching is really really powerful and I don't think too many coaches do it and I don't think they do it often enough um, I think it's good to have someone that you can bounce ideas off and just discuss coaching hence the reason I'm doing this podcast I think there's uh, there's certain people who just want to try and figure it out on their own and that's kind and that's fine um, but I think if we're if, if we're uncertain about something or unsure about something, you know, you're thinking, this is not working, what's going on? You beat yourself up for the next six months until you figure it out or you can ask someone and go, I'm really struggling with this particular part or this particular thing of a goal swing or whatever it might be. That coach, new mentor, whoever it might be, might have already experienced that every chance they have and they'll be able to tell you, okay, this is what I used to do. This is how I'm, I now challenge that particular golfer who wants to know numbers, yeah, whatever it might be. Um, so I think it can quicken the education process and certainly put your mind at ease yeah. as well. No, cool, like it. Advice for golfers out there? Probably the opposite. <laughs> Stay <laughs> off social media. <laughs> be a critical thinker. Mm. 
uh, I've said to uh, some people in recent times who have come to me and go, oh, I'm really trying to keep my head down or left arm straight or anything like that. And I go, okay, why? Oh, because my buddy said, said, okay, would you go and jump off that roof then if I told you? No. I said, okay, why? Because you know it's dangerous and you know something bad might happen. Now, this is just a golf swing, but why would you not ask the question? Why would you not go, okay, why would I do that for? Is it, what, what is that producing? So I guess it's a – and put that back on the coach too a little bit because, again, as we were saying before, if, if uh, you know, sometimes what we might be saying is not spot on either. So ask the question back, why would I do that? What's it going to fix? So, but at the same time, too much information standing over it, worried about is, is this here, is this that there, that can be a bit dangerous as well. So have a better filter. Yep. Is that the best way to put it? There's a, as a the Sweet Spot podcast had a really good episode on this just recently. I don't know whether you tune into that one or not. Um, had him young. And um, did, yeah. practical golf guys yeah. talking about um, critical thinking. I'm keen to have those on the podcast, those two, if they're tuning in <laughs> at, at any stage. Um, I'm going to hit you up at some point, both of you, to come on the, on this podcast. But they had a real good episode on critical thinking and understanding if it doesn't apply to you, then being able to not um, filter it in, so to speak. So mm. they had a really, really cool episode on that. So yeah. worth checking out if you are into that yeah. type of space. I actually saw a good post from someone on the other day who said, uh, even before the video came up, that was, uh, this tip is not for everybody. This tip is for people who hit this particular shot. Yeah. And that was it. And then he went into his thing. I was like, okay. But people are still going to watch it. Yeah. So. Adam spoke about that. And he said, when you're putting online stuff out there, you need to make sure that you do specify who it's for. And um, So John and Adam, Please, if you are tuning in, hit me up. I want it's, a, it's a messy space, old social media. I'm uh, not overly active in it, but I'm trying to be. <laughs> yeah, no. um, okay, so what about anything in your career that you would change? Anything you would do differently if you had the chance to go back and change anything? I reckon if I had, I should have tried harder to go back to the Netherlands second year. I, I kind of wish I'd done that. Um, but at the same time, not going back then got me the opportunity to go to Sydney, which is a whole different experience again, working at a very high, uh, expensive, high-end private golf club, which was an experience I'd never had before. Obviously moved house, obviously again, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so not a huge amount. I, I probably, if I had my time again, I based on what I'm doing now anyway, I, I wish I'd stayed a bit more heavy in that coaching space rather than jumping out and, yeah, and doing that sort of stuff. However, um, those experiences have is what I am now. Again, there's not two of me to compare. So um, I think all those experiences build something, some knowledge. Yeah, no, that's cool. So, all fine with that it's um yeah it, it is it's it, the path you've taken now is where you've ended up and you're happy with where you are so that's exactly right so it's, it's all good it's hard to say where do you see yourself five years time or golf coaching if you'd prefer to answer it that way 
Uh, oh, look, I certainly, uh, I certainly see myself still at Sandy, no doubt about that. It's a, uh, a great place to teach every day. Uh, in terms of uh, teaching-wise, hopefully considerably better than where I am at now. I, I'm, uh, I'm certainly in the realms of what can I do better tomorrow from lessons I've learned today, all that sort of stuff to sort of use a, a, a bit of a silly quote. But that's really all I'm, all I'm up for is am I better than what I was or what I am now? So I don't know. I really don't. I think it's a very, very tricky question because we never know where we're going to be at. I mean, who knows what opportunities might come knocking. Who knows what might happen between now and then. So um, yeah, I don't know. I, I really don't. It's, it's, it's a question I've struggled with in every job interview I've ever had as well. Yeah. Because who knows? Yeah, exactly. Knows? I, I think what you said at the start there where you just want to continue to improve, that's a good starting point. If you've got that overall goal that you want to get better and better in, at the stuff you're doing now, that'll get you to a spot in five years' time where, you, where you've improved yourself. So that, that's a positive. That's all yeah. good. I think that's the only way to go. But Okay, so final question. Uh, appreciate your time today. You've spent over an hour with me, which is great. It's a really, really good episode today. So it was, wasn't worth the two years of, of hiding from me. You've um, <laughs> you've finally got you on, and you're definitely coming on again more often now. I so. live too close now. Yes, you do. So you have got zero excuse now. So mm. you'll be you'll be in much, much more often now. So um, sources of information, where do you go if you're looking to employ new things? Are you a podcast person? Are you on websites, YouTube channels? Give me some suggestions to check out. All of it. Yeah, all of it. So yes, I've gotten into podcasts in, in, in more recent times. Uh, some coaching ones that I've found. Uh, Give me some names so I can... Oh, generally think later. <laughs> I haven't got a right here. Uh, but certainly there are some some Instagram guys that I follow, uh, some Twitter guys that I follow, uh, which in itself is a bit of a minefield, uh, as we were saying before. Uh, I'm still going through some of my old stuff that I did. Like I took some notes back when I was overseas. That's how bored I was over there because I was there on my own. Uh, some stuff that I took back then and still – read some of that stuff. Uh, I talk to other coaches. I, you know, you and I have spoken in the past. Uh, Nick, Mark, fellow coach I'm here with now. So try to tap in with as many as you can. So as much as I can. So I'm even just reading some books on just some general life stuff. So it's not all about necessarily golf coaching is... um, Really trying be- trying my best to get my own house in order. Okay. Um, so what can I do a bit better? So I'll tap into all sorts of things. Oh, that's cool. Brent, all sorts. So I'll be coming at you when you come on the show next for specific people you follow and stuff. So uh, get some notes next time. I, 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 I gave you a heads up on this question. I need come to do on. some study, do I? You have to all have right. some specific people so I can put some links and all stuff right. in there. So I'm keen to expand my own knowledge as well. So I want... Um, people that you follow so I can go and follow them as well so I'll hit you up definitely next time thank you again so much for coming in today where can people find you give me some social media links and website links Uh, Chris Donovan Golf PGA is my Instagram now on that just quickly before you go any further than that you've Mm. actually got a profile picture finally (laughs) 
I did notice you had the grey circle there for a long time. It took me a while. But you have got a profile so, picture now, which is good. Well, I had a I had a lesson client who invited me down to the Nationals, so that was a uh, that was a nice day. Yes. Uh, so that's my Instagram on Twitter. I'm not very active on at all, really, but I think it's a similar handle, Chris Donovan one. Um, and then uh, PJ Academy website just gone live, so uh, booking some lessons through there or through the Sandy. Golf club. Is that BGACLP? No, nah, it's BJ Academy now. Okay. Yeah, brand new one. Ali got live Saturday. Okay. I'll put some links in the show notes for everybody so they can find you and book in for some lessons. If they want to improve their golf or if they're coaches out there, they want to start a conversation, they can get in touch with you that way as well. So, again, mate, thank you so much for coming in. It wasn't anywhere near as bad as you thought it was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Great conversation. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Thanks, mate.